I was locked in a hotel and we had to be taught how to dress, how to speak, what to put on our slides and so on. And I really, I, I enjoyed it at the beginning. I thought, this is really cool. This is such a great system and quickly rebelled against it. Welcome to Bloom. This is a podcast that explores stories of leadership and success from highly sensitive people who have overcome adversities and are now using their gifts to empower their communities. Here's your host, Yole Berlaga Bucciolati. Welcome to Bloom, the place for highly sensitive change makers to be inspired to step into their power and be the missing link that they are waiting for. I'm very excited to finally launch this podcast. On this very first episode, my co-host is the wonderful and, of course, highly sensitive Sarah Box. Sarah is a distinguished founder of Sarah Box Coaching and Consulting and the Sandbox Productions with over 35 years of experience in both nonprofit and entrepreneurial spheres. Hi, Sarah. So happy to have your support on this first episode. Uh, I've been looking forward to supporting you and this particular interview. So I'm glad to be here. So happy. <laughs> I can tell you. Today, we have a conversation with my friend and mentor, Guillaume Biatr. He encouraged and supported me on my path to build a business around highly sensitive change leaders and still continues to do so. And I am absolutely ravished that he is the first one on my first episode. So let me tell you a little bit about Guillaume. Guillaume is, of course, a highly sensitive person and is the founder of MetaHelm, a company whose motto is guiding the guides. Guillaume supports and guides CEOs, founders, leadership teams, and solopreneurs like me to gain focus, traction, and build an authentic and successful business that potentially makes the world a better place. So welcome, Guillaume. Ah, Yole. Yole and Sarah, there we are. Thank you so much for having me today. This is a very special moment for me to have you, you know, both here. Um, and I'm excited to, uh, to be here today. So let's dive in. When I read this sentence on your homepage, um, where you define narrative power as narrative power is really your baby. You define it as the leadership ability to defy the normal when the normal is wrong. And I was really intrigued by that because there is a lot in that sentence. Please explain to us why you chose that statement. Why is that so foundational and important to you? Well, that statement is the culmination of a lot of experiences and, and work and trial and errors and looking to uh, put words on something that is very intangible to me, something that I've always felt that was around me and, and in the work that I do and, and in everything that is, you know, uh, everything that seems to pull me in the, in the general direction of life. It's a fairly recent definition, in fact. Um, and it's a definition that has evolved over the years. And I'd like to start there because, um, because that's the, the <laughs> by, by definition itself, this definition is about change. Do you see mm -hmm. what I mean? Yes, it's, I it has been changing over time, it has been evolving over time. And so it really crystallizes and, and illustrates really well the way I see uh, progress and growth in life and business in general. Um, I see I see life and and business in general as a as a continual prototyping exercise as, as an experiment, right? So always a source of learning, always a source of discovery, and a place and an experience that always gives you a chance to do it to do it again. Right. So there is there is failure, there is there, there, there are problems, there are things we run into. Um, but we can experience these problems and these failures if we 
go at, uh, at, at them with this mindset of a curiosity and, and experimentation. So that definition is the output of this mindset and this work. And I've been trying to put words on what I have felt that uh, in my life I was up against many times as an entrepreneur. And as I also noticed, uh, many of my clients and colleagues and peers and friends uh, be up against. And it's almost that, you know, we we have all this, these these dreams and these, the, these, these, uh, these wishes, uh, these aspirations. Um, and then we engage in the journey that uh, takes us there. And along the along the path, along the path, we feel like things are not going uh, just as smoothly or as fast or as easily as as we wanted to uh, uh, to go. Whether that change or, the, or that journey is internal as an entrepreneur or, or external, we're trying to impact a community like like Sarah is trying to to completely transform the way uh, nonprofits are considered and perceived uh, in the in the communities with, with stakeholders uh, so the, it could be both aspects but i always notice that at some point we have to defy and that's where well, that's when the, this this word came we have to to push against we have to recognize that we can say no to certain things but it's up to us to say that just to recognize and say it and so we have to defy what is typically um accepted as normal everywhere what is the common wisdom uh but a common wisdom that you know at some point we we have to recognize that is not working anymore so maybe that normal is something about us or something about the outside so for me the normal um I'll, there's been so so many things i've been defying and i continue to defy it's a, it's a it's an ongoing and and daily process um but for me, uh, especially in business, it was uh, it started in my uh, early early career and early years with uh, how do I integrate creativity in a business industry that uh, is fairly tip, fairly traditional. I mean, consulting. And I started in the late mid mid to late nineties, and now consulting is these days you know we're in 2023 and 2023 sorry consulting has changed a lot but in but at the time it was uh it was, it was still a fairly uh if you look at if you look at the history of consulting like re really consult consulting as we know it today dates from the you know the the, the post world war ii era mm. you know of uh of trying to improve the way organizations and companies work so at the time in the 90s, there was not so many um, trails that had already been uh, designed. Uh, you could go work for a big big firm or a boutique firm, but that's about it, right? It was like, you know, very, very, uh, very, uh, very, very uh, regimented, not regulated, but regimented. There was a lot of code and science. So I joined a, a strategy consulting firms in uh in 1998 and the first thing uh i had to do was to go to literally a boot camp now we hear the hear the, the word boot camp because you know it sounds cool but this was an actual boot camp for one or two weeks you were i was locked in a hotel and we had to be taught how to dress how to speak what to put on our slides and so on and i really I, I enjoyed it at the beginning. I thought this is really cool. This is such a great system, and quickly rebelled against it because <laughs> I thought it doesn't match with how I see I see things. I and so for me, the normal was that I was up against was okay. How do I uh, bring in the creative side of me in in this work of consulting? There's got to be a different way. Um, but I couldn't find anybody to show me this path. Uh, I, keep in mind, I was in France also, where consulting and coaching at that time was a very, very uh, immature uh, field, unlike the United States. I moved in the United States in 2008, so about 10 years later. And so, uh, so okay, so that's where this definitions come from, from my appetite to... Uh, find a better way to drive change within me and and outside. Well, I just wanted to say in a way that you know you already gave us a lot of nuggets for um, aspiring, highly sensitive leaders or change leaders. Um, 
And to, to really point out again that these aspects of not being comfortable if something is normal but wrong, that is mm -hmm. such uh, an important aspect of highly sensitive people. Yeah. And that desire to actually want to change, to apply oneself. But as you so uh, well, um, you know, summarized how difficult that can be because you have a whole system that is against you or not, not against you in the sense of a personal sense, but it's just rigged towards another personality type. Um, yep. So you, you very nicely summarized, you know, what, you know, and I will have more questions to that, but what it took the courage it actually takes to say, and, you know, and also take that very important aspect of creativity to say, mm. I'm going to do it my way. Mm. Yeah. So, so thank you for that, for that, um, you know, explanation. Yeah. And, and, I, and I would say, I would say, Yoli, uh, it's like, it's not like the, the system is against you. It's maybe you, 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 you perceive that the system is against you. And I think one important part of that change process is to realize that it's not personal. <laughs> you know, no, nobody forced me. I mean, when I use the term, lo they lock me up in a hotel. I chose to be there. <laughs> it was not against my will, right? So I could have left at any time. But I, I, I chose that career path initially because I thought this was going to be my normal until I realized it wasn't going to be anymore. Well, we all think that initially, you know, we are taught that we need to fit in. And mm -hmm. of course, it's the system we know. And if we want to move something and we want to build something, that's where we start. Yep. And we'll, yep. later on, you know, we'll we'll get into the question of when did it get so uncomfortable mm -hmm. yeah, mm -hmm. that you needed to change. But I think Sarah wanted to, to ask a question. Just so a quick, quick question for you, Guillaume, because it, in the telling of the awareness of it, you know, when we recount or retell something, it sounds like the time interval is compressed. You know, it's like, and then this happened, and then I saw this differently. What yep. was the time span from boot camp to like going, this isn't working for Guillaume, and I think there's a different way that you could show up. So talk a little bit about that time frame and how your awareness started from a business perspective. I love that question, Sarah, because that's exactly because uh, I'm tied to the the definition we talked about, which is narrative power. Narrative power is something that I, I believe builds over time. You get to to so you don't you don't some some people say you craft a narrative. They refer to actually a story that you write. In my field, I say you build narrative power, which is something that you you learn to do over time. Uh, the time span was about, I would say maybe. Two to three years, two to three years. If it felt like you know it was very quick, but two to three years into this this world to realize like yeah maybe maybe this isn't so much uh, what I want to do, right? I have to I have to drive change in a way or another. And then that definition that Yoli just read in the beginning, that's basically thirty years later. <laughs> yeah, it's a very important. Thank you for that question, Sarah, because it shows that this is not an overnight process no 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 i didn't come up with that overnight <laughs> i would like to for a moment go back in time since we're talking about you know time and um ask you and then we'll get back to guiding the guides i promise but what was the first time you realized that you were different from others mm, okay is there, is there a time yeah, there's a time uh, very early on in my in my life, uh, I, and I have I have recollection of moments, um, you know, e even in kindergarten or before. It's it's interesting because I don't remember a lot, but I remember that for sure. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I remember the feeling. I remember how it feels in my body, uh, not knowing what to do with my body even. Mm -hmm. And like physically, physically feeling like a, a a round peg that someone wants to put in a square hole, or or vice versa, like physically, like not knowing where to go or how to behave or being unsure about um, being compliant with rules, and also uh, forgetting about rules. So very early on in school, uh, in fact, in when I talk to my parents uh, later, you know, in my life, in, uh, in my teenage years, or maybe even after, um, how it was to uh, raise me at the time, 
And they say they were very desperate. They didn't know what to do either. Like they felt uh, very much, um, they felt very worried, very concerned because the school wanted to, uh, didn't, didn't want to, they were considering sending me to a, another special school. Don't ask me exactly the, the, the type or why, or, or but mm-hmm. they were considering like removing me from the normal traditional school system because I wouldn't fit in there. Uh, I was uh, always uh, reminded that I was absent-minded, that uh, I didn't color uh, within the lines, <laughs> and then <laughs> you know it, it was it was always a I was a problem, you know, very early on. So that's that's when I remember that. And then later along the journey, I started to meet people who recognized my difference uh, in a positive way. Uh, and recognize my talents and encourage me to explore those talents. So that that gave me hope. So that moment of empowerment, you know, I think we all three of us aware of what you describe and probably many of the listeners as well. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's wonderful that you included that physicality of it, that it's mm-hmm. actually also in your body. It's not just that, you know, you have the feeling nobody listens to you or that you are sort of weird, but it's a deep sense of something um, that the body remembers. So thank you yes. very much for that, because I, I think that yeah. that is actually in the end, one of the hardest things to integrate. Yeah. It's yeah. much easier to heal in your mind and to sort of belong somewhere with your intelligence and your visions. It's yeah. much harder than to return back to a sense of peace and empowerment in your body. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm I'm glad you 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 highlighted this because it took me years to re- also acknowledge that I was feeling in my in my body. Yeah, so that is a very big issue that needs to be addressed for mm-hmm. many of highly sensitive change leaders. It's mm-hmm. not just the mind, it's also the body. Yeah, that's very true, Yoli, because I think that uh thanks to the fact that I can recognize that these days i think you know i i i i feel like it's something that never goes away in my life it's always there i always have this hint of you know do i belong here or do i do this <laughs> there's always that that little taste that stays there it's never gone um and i use my body to sense that i can feel it in my posture in my arms in my like it's, it's like <laughs> so this is very it is a very 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 useful tool and for many years, I was taught not to uh, acknowledge those body signals and really uh, ignore them. You know, not recognize, re- not recognize them. That 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 was my that was my narrative. Until I was about, I was in my um, late twenties, early early thirties, and then I discovered, aha, the body is this phenomenal instrument. You can do <laughs> exactly. so much more with it. You can improve your life if you learn to pay attention to it and listen to it. Yeah, Aha. yeah use your body, you know, as the antenna it was meant to be rather yes. than fight it. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so thank you for that. And Sarah, I would like to bring you in um, on this because, as you know, I'm not a business person as much as you are or Guillaume is, so... To me, it always seemed that the body and business don't go together very well. So, you know, I'll hand it over to you as a question, you know, in the boot camp kind of business. Well, I think that's a great observation, Yuli. And I would say that maybe more today people are considering what the link might be. Um, But I do think that there's always been that tendency for people in business. It's like, okay, just you're imagining that, or what are you so nervous about? You got to do this anyway, instead of going, what am I learning from this? Right. And Guillaume, one of the things that you mentioned that I really stood out was when you learn to pay attention and what might this be telling you, I'm curious how that helped you help the leaders that you're leading, right. That you're, you're guiding, guiding, the, us guides, right? So how has being more connected to that part of you kind of, I don't want to use the trendy words of up level, but really helped you see things differently uh, there or was express a, what you're seeing. Right. You probably always saw them, but express them. Well, Sarah, this was a major breakthrough for me because all of a sudden I could, uh, I could now recognize that what I was observing um, across 
you know the room or the desk or the, the you know the table where we start was an, an, an additional and hugely important channel of information of feedback right to really connect better and to really help uh, you know my clients better uh, and so I I recognize this and then I I I got trained in this so it was not just like oh I'm just interested in read a few books and that's it uh, no I took years of training to connect those dots to understand that um, you know uh, when when we you know our breath you know our our, our our breathing changes that means something when our heart rate changes that means something when we have skin signals that means something i mean there's like like all the symptoms right uh, you know connect to something else uh and you you may not have the the uh, there's no guaranteed answer you may not have it's not like a computer program but it gives you it, it certainly gives you very very important hints um so it was a major breakthrough sarah uh, it was uh, one of the foundations for my methodology for a long time for about uh, five to six years and then i added more more things so it was, it was le- a bit less at the forefront um but but in coaching i was making those connections all the time and that also came from my own uh reinvention or exploration it was it was just a it was just this really big moment in my life where i thought oh my gosh i'm just like if I was a tree, there was just this huge limb that all of a sudden spurred out of the trunk. Like, oh gosh, this is so fantastic. I can expand so much there. It's so beautiful. I can learn so much. I can improve, you know, how I experience everything and help others do it. So so every time it was like, you know, I added other directions to my uh to to, to this process. So before I hand it back to Yoli, I'll mention that the tree metaphor is great. And I don't yeah. know if anybody's geeky about trees, but the further the limbs go out, the roots match them. The drip line from the branches goes yeah. out as wide as the roots are. So while you're growing the visible, the right. roots are growing out to support you. And I, so I had, that's why I wanted to ask that question, because it sounds like that part of you that you embraced and learned more about has become foundational to the rest of the tree and the branches. Yes, it has. And now, you know, if you go to my website or hear me speak, or if you ask me to present my business, I will not necessarily mention it, but it's something I always pay attention to. Uh, and it's not it's not just body language. It's also how people describe. It's, you know, very often time we use words in our language that we you know we say, um, you know, this conversation had a bad taste, right? And we're referring to our senses. So this is this is yet another signal that makes for the work even uh, for 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 an even richer part of the world. I had no idea. I mean, I I didn't know Sarah about the the, the size of the branches and the roots, and that makes oh. sense. And now I'm going to look more carefully at trees. Watch trees. The yeah. ones that are the weakest are the ones whose roots don't go very far. But, so but yeah. Anyway, it, this is yeah. not the purpose of this podcast. <laughs> so, but I just. No, no, but, but I, I did like it's to... an interesting. We're going metaphorical here, and anytime I hear a new metaphor, I jump in the metaphor because that's a that's a huge piece of uh, doing nar- narrative work. So <laughs> maybe it's a professional deformation. <laughs> no, it's a professional gift actually. Mm-hmm. Let's stay. Let's stay in that metaphor because I really like that, Guillaume. I know you are also a musician, mm-hmm. and you also, I think you studied design, right? Yes. Um, can you sort of? I'm curious about that, how that fits in with your tree in the branches. And, you know, I know there was a decisive moment where you decided to use that. And it was a moment where things changed for you. Would you like to sort of talk about that for, for a bit? I think what what helped me, I would say, survive <laughs> at the early stage of my life, you know, as I was not really a good fit for school, was the possibility to engage in artistic activities. And my mom, who's a teacher, was very, very focused on academics, also is a very is a wonderful artist. She's an she's a singer, uh, like you, Yole. And you know, she she likes to sing opera and she always wanted to play the piano. So she bought a piano and we had the piano uh, in the house. So I, I always had an artistic outlet. She was very, always encouraging, always got me. If I wanted to, 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 uh, if I, you know, I was little, say, hey, I want to learn how to draw. She would take me to, to, uh, to drawing class. So, so art has always been encouraged, um, supported, subsidized until, you know, my, my late teens. 
so that that has been really really wonderful and uh, then came the moments in in my adult life where i'm like okay what how do i reconcile this how do i explain pe- to people that uh you know i do business consulting but i also i like to play um uh, free jazz or or I, i'm all, i'm also in this reggae and punk rock band uh you know, it's just it's just for 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 a lot of people it just doesn't match right it doesn't it doesn't compute in the general narrative that we have uh, you know uh, so so I, so i realized that there is there are very very strong parallels of course uh creativity is not about one type of craft creativity is a general skill right and when i hear people say oh i'm a i'm an accountant you know i'm not creative like or you know I'm, or I, I in fact one of my clients last week was telling me she's an executive at a large company it's like oh yeah the, I have not been creative for a while. I'm like, are you kidding me? You constantly solve problems. You constantly think outside the box. You're not creative in maybe in the uh, general artistic definition of it, but you're creative for everything. Yeah. So, so for so so for me, it was constantly how do I reconcile this? Um, and I let myself explore and experiment so uh, uh at age 30 i took a break from my consulting career and i went back to the conservatory i was the oldest student in this class uh every, everyone was 18 to 25 and they still accepted me uh and i i i went back to the conservatory and uh got a got a, a degree in uh, jazz piano um and so that was on on the side so 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 that i could i could you know really let that that metaphorical limb you know grow mm. and once once i did this i could see yet other parallels like i i and, and still this you know today i think of a narrative of, of narrative as music narrative is music it's it's how it, it's it's a it's a body of work. It's not just one song. It's many songs, many stories combined together that form a system. And um, those stories need to be revisited. Like they need to be reinterpreted and re-explored all the time because every time you you go through through those songs, you learn new ways to uh, bring them to life. And so the the that that's another metaphor that that has that has helped me uh, immensely. Um, and very practically, you know, I was uh, I was making good money teaching songs and teaching uh, sorry teach, teaching um, students uh, playing gigs. Uh, it, it, it was it was awesome. Uh, it was awesome. And then I decided, yeah, this is great. But I also realized this is not what I want the number one priority in my career to be. Uh, and really, really, business is my passion. This is really my passion. Really, entrepreneurship is really what I what I'm really uh, really about. You mentioned design, so the same thing happened after I had moved to the United States. I thought um, so. Drawing, I had wonderful drawing teachers in in middle school, and they saved me yet again from that desperation of not being a good fit in math and history and geography and all that. And they could see my my talents, and so I started to believe a little more in these uh, later in my life, and I age uh, now we're talking almost 40 i went back to design school and learned from the you know the basics figure drawings and layouts and typography and so i went to um uh seattle um a school of visual concepts here 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 was the challenge and when where narrative power comes in into play so yet again i was working in consulting and all of a sudden i start using live drawing to facilitate um high stakes meetings with fortune whatever ceos and people see me doodling on the board and they look at me and go what is he doing like what why why all those doodles until they start to realize oh actually those little stick figures help us see the same thing and visualize our ideas therefore we have a chance to align or disagree and all of a sudden, this meeting that used to be three hours and you know very very blurry and fuzzy becomes clear, efficient. So there was yet another connection between art and business in the traditional sense. Uh, Guillaume, that's also wonderful because you know mm-hmm. it, it shows that you reinvented yourself a few times, and that yes, many times <laughs> that that ability to to see more than just one thing in the end really helped you to integrate 
your talents. I, I would like to go back to one moment because I saw, I think that was so decisive that, you know, I remember you told me about, and I think it's in that, in that story that in the narrative that you just shared with us. And that is that moment when you had to decide I'm, you know, in, in one of these meetings, I remember you said, this is not going to work. And I'm going to use that tool that you just described. I'm going to be courageous and I cannot stay in that system. Something inside of me says that this is a point where I need to make a decision. Am I going to be authentic to myself and give it a try, or am I going to go along with the system? Could you, you know, go into that a bit deeper? I can tell the story. Yes, please. Of that of that meeting. <laughs> yes, so, because I think it's it's uh, so that that's. I think that's the origin to today. I would I would say that's the origin story for MetaHelm. That's that's the moment that took me to do what I do in the form that I do it today. Uh, it was twenty. It was two thousand and one, and I was um, uh, working for a consult a very very small technology consulting firm at the time that was specialized in digital catalog. What's called digital catalogs. Uh, there, there's basically database of product information. But you know, today content, digital content in our internet world is very common. At the time, it was very avant-garde, very new, because a lot of the information that we were dealing with in businesses were paper-based, or or very oftentimes also institutionalized uh, institutional knowledge. But if you remember the days of ordering things on a paper catalog, you had to look through the catalog and take, grab a pen, and fill out the form. And then somebody, uh, and you would mail this, mail order, and uh, somebody there would, would look at this visually and kind of match things and then prepare your order and so on. There's a lot, lot of room for error. And in 2001, I am hired. So I have some knowledge on how to turn this digitally. For some reason, I was at the wrong, at the right place at the right time in the right company, you know, doing the right thing. And I'm, I'm brought in by this huge, huge company, energy company in France to lead a project about this. And they're struggling to switch from uh, analog to digital information. And they've invested a tremendous amount of money. I think it was 20 million euros at the time. And they are stuck and they bring me in and as a good consultant, I prepare an agenda, you know, and I, I want to look, you know, just traditional because they're very traditional. Uh, they're, they're all guys in there. There's like, I think one woman out of 20 or 25 in this program, program, in this project group. And they all come from the same engineering schools and it is very, very formatted. And so they bring me in to say, okay, help us get unstuck. And I start, I start, you know, this project. I send a few emails. Say we will meet at this day. I show up in this big boardroom with this team, and I start a kickoff with my agenda, very confident. And thirty minutes into the meeting, my antennas, as we talked about before, are telling me, "Alert! Alert! <laughs> <laughs> this is not. You are not looking at." The only problem, the it's not the, the the and actually it the bigger problem is not technical. It's human. And I noticed that these people can't talk to each other. They don't. They 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 constantly interrupt each other. They're not listening. Uh, they don't. They talk about. They 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 talk with a crazy amount of jargon that even themselves don't understand. You know acronyms and things. And for some reason, life at this time, I don't don't tell me where this comes from. This maybe maybe from the from my 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 guiding angels or or, or God or who, however you want to call it. But life tells me you have a choice. You are at a why here. You can just finish the meeting and just comply with your your agenda, and 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 that's fine, and get paid for what they had ordered. Or you have a chance to change course without notice and get into a deeper layer that is probably more dangerous uh more uncertain but that that will probably get to a much better outcome much greater outcome well guess which one i took <laughs> yes i'm we are, i'm very happy you did because i could learn from you and you know i hope some of the listeners can also learn from you is to take the road yeah. less traveled exactly the road less traveled so what did i do 
I said, okay, guys, if you don't mind, I'd like to suggest we switch gear. And I'd like to ask everyone to close their laptop. I'm going to give you a piece of paper. There, there was a stack of uh, you know printer paper on the side of the table. And I handed them a sheet and say, grab a pen and let's all draw the project. And they looked at me with googly eyes, like, "What is what's going on here? We're we're here to make important decisions and look at these Excel sheets and blah blah blah." And they're like, "Now we're we're turning into art, you know, improvised artists." And so everybody draws the project, and of course, you know, what do you expect out of this exercise? You get twenty five different drawings, uh, but of course, everybody has. Well, you're you're telling me everybody has a style and choose different things. But do we put? I I put those drawings on the wall, and and the drawings did the rest. People stood and looked around. And I guess they they were also faced with truth. You know, they were also faced with, okay, are we going to continue to lie to ourselves or just recognize that we're just totally not on the same page, literally? And I had no idea. What was, what was very scary for me at the time, I was very nervous, very, very, very nervous. Um, what was very scary is that I had no idea how this this would land. I could get fired. You know, I was in my in my late twenties. Uh, as very very uh, to me, my career was very important. As was a big essential element of my life. There was a lot on the line for me. A lot on the line. My reputation, everything, and somehow it worked. People and the, the head of the project said, "Well, yeah, okay, we have a problem here. We're not." looking at the same thing. And I said, yeah, if you don't mind, I th- I think I can I can give you all sorts of answers for the technical side. But the bigger question is, how do you operate as a team? You're not on the same page. Today, I would say you're not sharing the same narrative. At the time, I didn't have that that language with me. I was not equipped, but it it, it is exactly what I was sensing in the moment. And so... <clears throat> I was faced with what do I do with my narrative power? Where, well, how do I want to handle that? Do I want to let it happen and defy the normal when the normal is wrong? Or do I want to ignore it? And I let it happen. And I defied the normal because I re- could really tell that the normal was wrong that day. And so that was the beginning of, oh, okay, if you if you steer in that direction, if you st- if you stay connected with energy, incredible things could happen. And what happened with that project is that we formed a group that was a lot tighter, that they, they agreed to slow down. I had also a lot of a, a lot of um a lot of pushbacks. Yeah. Some people in this group are like, what are we doing? Are we doing group therapy or are we doing group coaching or or is this a woo-woo thing? Or I mean all of those terms that signaled uh, negativity uh, you know and and the ha- the other fortunately the other half of the group the other faction um was like no this is actually something we should really pay attention to we have always felt this but no one was able to put words on this and and visuals you know and that project worked it happened to work i stayed 6 months with them i was supposed to stay maybe a week or two i stayed 6 months with them they they, they kept extending because they they really enjoyed it and we technically made it work and at the end of the six months i got a a one-on-one with the the head of procurement for this uh, multi-billion dollar company and he said i have to tell you something you know before you we hired two uh, big fives with big teams and we had to fire them every time because they couldn't get it they couldn't they, they couldn't make it work so all right i think it was not me that i wasn't the savior i wasn't the hero they were the hero uh, but I was just here to, to just bring a little spark. So that's the long version of my origin story, Yoli. But that was a defining so moment wonderful. for me. So wonderful, Guillaume, because if we go back to the Sarah's metaphor of the tree, that yeah. that was the beginning of fruits. You know, yes. Fruits, ah, fruits that day, that day. Yeah. And you know what I what I what I also experienced that I, I'm trying to really um have all my clients. Uh, experience when they work with me is I I then believed I started to see and believe in my abilities to work differently right and I think that so many of us entrepreneurs we say that we do this and we do that but do we really believe it sometimes I question this I second guess I I, I ch- so I'm not second guess I challenge people with this and that's why I'm a very very firm believer that 
until you take action, you try things like you, Yole, with this podcast. You turn this idea into action and you're risking, you're risking to put, you know, your your, your time on the line, your reputation on the line. Is this even going to work? Is this is this conversation even? Until you, you understand that building narrative power is also action, taking action, publishing. So for us experts, what does this mean? Publishing on a regular and frequent basis, welcoming feedback, launching new offers, reaching out to people that we think would be amazing clients, but we're in fear of letting them know that we could we can bring value to them, making the hard decisions and so on. You know, it's really really wonderful. Thank you, Guillaume, because there's so much in there. Mm-hmm. Before we wrap up, Sarah, is there anything? Any question from your point of your perspective you would like to add? I do want to, I don't want to add, I want to ask a clarification for Guillaume on how he's advanced this because something that you just finished saying, Guillaume, about like having people test things and get it out there and, and reach, reach yeah. beyond their comfort zone. Um, you know, I've noticed that a lot of people are reaching. And I'm, I'll use myself as an example. I can't tell you how many people I get do, hey, would you like to hop on a call? That to me is not authentic reaching. So if, can you talk about, because, and I see you very different than that. Mm. Can you just talk about how that affects how you would work with a business versus this digital, I think of it as digital distance here. I can just send yeah. this out. It means nothing. I'm not behind yeah. it. You know, Yoli could send out a bunch of stuff. She's not connected to it. So how do you help people help that, you know, help get us out there in a way where it's that authentic connection, not just the volume of stuff. Yeah, so uh, thank you so much for asking this question, Sarah, because uh, that I call the, I define this approach as authentic outreach. And I just want to pull, um, there is a definition for this approach, and you will find it on my website at metahelm.com under the strategic narrative uh, methodology. And I just want to read this definition because I think it will clarify, and then I'll give examples. Um, I define authentic outreach as the genuine and personalized act of connecting with your current and potential clients, treating them like they are your friends, but doing it at scale. Humanizing your outreach creates an emotional connection with your audience, enabling them to relate to and support your narrative. So there are are obviously very important words in them. And the first one is thinking of people as they are your friend. And and you said very rightfully so, Sarah, the digital distance. You know, reaching out to potential clients these days has, has turned into this numbers game. And I can't tell you how many times a week I get those emails from solicitors and, 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 and ads like, you know, put your business on autopilot. We will reach out to hundreds of people and we'll get you 10 meetings a week. Um, and we're going to do that for you. And, and it all sounds too good to be true. It all sounds like too magical. And, um, so I gave this a try uh, a few years ago. I'm like, oh, I'm getting those emails. You know, these people not, must probably know what they're doing. And I, I gave this a try. Um, I gave this a try two times. A uh, company, who, uh, you know, was calling and that led to nothing good. Uh, well, actually, actually one thing great, which is for me was like, this is not a fit for me, right? These companies are in business. And if you are using them and you're happy with them, good for you. But for me, uh, prioritizing the value of authenticity and meaningful relationship and building a, a business based on solid human connections, it, it is not a good fit. So treat, you know, reaching out to people as you would treat your friend. So how do you treat your friend? Sarah, how do you treat your friend? You treat your friend as respecting their time, as asking them how they're doing, uh, you know, being curious about, genuinely curious about what is it that they want and need in their life, first of all. And then, you know, so focusing on them, that's how experts, true experts um, operate. Uh, you know, I, my dad is a, is a surgeon. He, you know, he's, he's 80 now. He's been in, in his field for over 50 years. And I never saw him hire one of those um, automated lead generation company, or I never saw him walk with a sandwich board 
you know, at the corner of the, at the intersection. Like I never saw him do that. Right. But he would always care about people. And if, if you, if you, if you, if you spend time with him in our little town in Vernon, France, you cross town with him and, and people will stop and say hi. And he will ask about their family. And so this, this is what I mean by authentic outreach. Um, so if you, if you lean into this mindset, if you start by first feeling that you've got something really of value that people could really benefit from, the way you reach out to people will, will be transformed. And, and then scaling it, that's the, sec- that, that's the other word, doing it more frequently, more often, is not a problem anymore because you see this as an, uh, as a, as an, as an act of kindness, of genuine kindness. You don't see people as walking wallets. I think we talked about this, Sarah, uh, in the past together. Um, you don't see people as walking wallets. You see, you see them as, as, as human beings. And I love when people co- contact me to tell me about their services, their offers, um, in a way that, that, that brings value to me. Like they ask me the right questions and, um, and, and, and maybe I'll become their, 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 their colleague, but I can see, I can tell at first they have my best interest in mind. So I'm very much against those sales tactics and approaches that consist of, yeah, um, making it so impersonal that we've lost, we've lost all meaning in the art of selling and and doing our work. Did that answer the question? (laughs) Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks. Can I just take over for one? Because I think this is so wonderful, Guillaume, and it takes it back to, you know, one of the reasons why I want to do this, you know, saying that exactly what you just mentioned, that connection and seeing others as human beings and wanting to have that personal connection and that community mm-hmm. is so deeply ingrained in most highly sensitive people. And it's mm-hmm. the missing link. We are going into a direction of becoming less and less connected in many ways and and doing things in a digital way and giving it you know possibly over to to robots and you know healthcare over to robots i mean you know maybe it's i'm the wrong generation but to me there seems to be something missing so for for me really that is such a deep part of my mission is to say look if we are the ones and we are the ones who really need that kind of connection. And you're such a wonderful example of that, you know, because you bring it into your business and you ask your clients to really go there, really, really go there. You are, um, you know, a mentor for people in that way to actually trust that sensitivity, trust that impulse of wanting to be an empath and connected and a human being. So I really, really, really thank you for, for these to the last comments you made, and Sarah, thank you for asking the question. No, I just, I just want to say thank you, Yoli, because I and what I'm taking away from this uh, conversation today is uh, the theme of trusting your sensitivity. And I think that's something I should remind myself. That is good that I have experienced many times. So thanks for that. Mm, you're most welcome. And um, there's just one last question because, you know, we decided we didn't want this podcast to be too long. So let's be disciplined. (laughs) My last question. Good luck with me. (laughs) Well, good luck with any of us. (laughs) So my last question to you is, is there something I didn't ask that you would like to add to give, you know, some inspiration to other change leaders that might not be as far down the road as you are? Um, but may- maybe it's a, maybe it's a, it's something, it's a, a clarification because you asked me a really good question and I might have made it come across like now I've solved everything. And then I'm like this, you know, I, I, I can really understand my, my sensitivity and, and what to do, to do with it. Um, and I want to say that for people who are listening to us, uh, it, it, it is a journey. It is a journey. Get, get on. If you're, if you, if you'd like to understand what to, how to trust your sensitivity better, you know, um, get on it as soon as possible. It's, it, you know, and 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 connect with other folks. I mean, Yuli, you're you're building community on this topic. You open my eyes on the fact that there's there's so many others uh, I didn't know that before. Um, so it, it, it's it's a it's a daily process. It's a daily work, right? And we're always you know confronted with new experiences, new things as we continue to grow. 
So you didn't ask me how I deal with this on a daily basis and all the tips and tricks and, and little strategies and little crutches and reminders and little uh, gris, we say in French, gris gris, you know, little thingies, knickknacks I have everywhere around me to help me with this. And that would be another podcast. Uh, but I have a plethora of, of little artifacts and drawings and books and you know, um, I have my uh, next to me here in my office. I have my kids' uh, toys chest um, to remind myself, for instance, that um, I was once a kid and that that kid is there and it's just growing. But it's right, it's right, it's right here, and I collect all sorts of active artifacts in it. So that's one of the tactics that I have. <laughs> I love that. Thank you, Guillaume. Thank you very much, and also yeah, thank welcome. you very much for your openness and honesty. And, absolutely, uh, absolutely, Sarah. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sarah, for supporting me on my first podcast and asking brilliant questions. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'd like to leave people maybe with, uh, you know, if they want to, if, if anyone wants to chat with me or is interested in, in connecting with me, uh, is that okay to do that, Yole? Yeah, yeah, of course. I was going to say, you know, when I oh, okay. find it wrapped up, but you can say it as well, that's fine, is to, um, you know, that I will put your information, you know, available for everybody but um and and Sarah's as well of course <laughs> that sounds good yeah you can you, you can uh connect with me on linkedin go to my website metahelp.com and feel free to reach out thank you If you want to continue this conversation, book a free 30-minute consultation on Yole's website at integralcoreproject.com slash en slash contact. And we invite you to join the support group for highly sensitive people. To join the support group, go to integralcoreproject.com slash support group. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and rate it.